Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. We're just two aunties sharing our experience through the lens of one Blackfoot woman and one Anishinaabe woman. And we are Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona. We are 100% Indigenous-led, and this is our podcast. Check us out at IndigenousVision.org to learn more about our work, make a donation, or play back any of our radio shows and this episode. Welcome to the Indigenous Vision Podcast. This is episode 99. We are getting so close to the biggest milestone that I honestly didn't even think we would be able to reach anytime soon, but here we are. My name is Melissa Spence. I am with the Executive Director of Indigenous Vision, Suta. Hello again. How are you? Hello, beautiful. I am doing great this morning. I am getting myself together, getting the organization together, uh, getting my son together for school, school starting soon. Um, and so I'll have those, I'll have more regular like office hours, so to speak. Um, I'm going to be organizing my Calendly, but those are going to be really short meetings and organizing myself boundaries, setting up that calendar is like a good boundaries so that I don't, uh, you know, miss anything or flake out on anybody. <laughs> you don't want to get canceled by flaking out on people because exactly. that could happen. Exactly. Because flaking is, is horrible. Like it makes people feel horrible. So I don't want to do that. I'm uh, looking forward to like cultural humility this fall a yes. lot. Yes. I've spoken with several groups now who um, a couple of them have bought seats for their people. We have 30 seats in that class, that cohort available. This is a lifetime skill and a lifetime, essentially like a, a support group of people who will go along this journey with you in culture humility. It's a really cool thing that I, I'm a fan of it because of the amount of compassion that it puts back into this world. I think this world is really missing a lot of compassion and, and culture humility has done amazing things for myself as an individual in, in learning the patience and compassion that I need for myself working in the injustice fields, because it's really hard to feel like you're doing enough when you're looking at all of those injustices. And then it's really hard to feel like you've you've made any successes when it's just constantly like, like a, what do they call that? Like a rat wheel or a, a, a gerbil <laughs> wheel. Well, like a hamster wheel that goes around exactly. and around. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It, it is brutal to, to keep hope when you, you feel like that's your, the industry you work in. Yes. Cultural humility has definitely made me more compassionate and hopeful because I find myself pausing and really thinking about the situation instead of getting all crazy, like mm -hmm. the whole canceling thing I've really been focusing on because I don't know if you've been paying attention, but Lizzo has been in the news. A lot of her dancers, her ex dancers are trying to have her canceled. I think a few of them came forward not long ago. We'll say maybe a month ago and they accused her of, all kinds of like different crazy stuff like sexual harassment, bullying about their size, uh, religious harassment, according to these reports. And like, it's really, I've really been trying to like practice cultural humility when it comes to people trying to cancel each other, especially in our social media driven world, right? Like it's absolutely everywhere. And you see people going, 
back and forth with each other. And then there's been like other people I've looked up to who've been canceled for doing terrible things. And again, I'm like, how do I approach this with cultural humility and not fly off the handle? And it's just been a really, a really great skill that I'm constantly like tuning up and refining, especially with all of this going on, especially in our communities too. We have people who get canceled, people that we've looked up to for years. And I was just curious on your thoughts about this whole cancel culture that we've been living in for the past few years and like, how do you manage it? Because I can't imagine being canceled and how I would have to re- adjust my life to the whole world or the whole internet world coming down on you like that must be a lot regardless of something is like true or not true I can't imagine right and we teeter that line every day we could say something wrong at any second (laughs) right and then all the forces will be after us and but but culture humility is anti-cancel um, culture humility is is not canceling people and ostracizing them and and kicking them out because they can't act right or be right. It's calling them in, you know, dialoguing through all of the ouches that they are causing. Maybe those ouches could be through unfiltered talk that they've just never reflected on where the things they say come from or behaviors because some behaviors are regional and cultural and and could be like almost belligerent in other cultures. And so it's really it's really culture humility is so interesting when you start getting big groups of people who are from diverse backgrounds and and how all of the all of the things that are just different can cause fear. And then if those repetitive differences are there long enough, it feels like harassment to somebody whose culture is different. Blackfoot people, we have banishment. And um, in the old days, we'd practice banishment. And my grandpa on his winter count, the white calf winter count, banished horse eagle, eagle horse, eagle horse is what his name was. And, and it was funny to me too, because I had never heard of a name combination like that in Blackfoot, but it was one of those older Blackfoot names, I suppose. And uh, White Calf banished him, but in his winter count, he said killed. Uh, chiefs would almost never kill people. They would banish them. And that was considered worse than death. And I think that's what this cancel culture is, but they're doing it over things that, you know, if we say something offensive, that's not reason enough to cancel somebody. But when they make a habit out of that and they're like, I don't give an F what you think. And it's constantly causing and continuing to cause harm. That's when I think where we, where we do just cancel somebody, but if the, cause they're unwilling to learn. Right. And they're right. unwilling to stop bleeding out pain into this world right like Mm -hmm. they are literally a a person walking around who is embodying a a scar or sore of some some kind and they're leaving that essence on people and it's important to 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 acknowledge how we walk around and how we leave people and it's not this I don't give an f or no two f's given or don't tread on me or uh, to each his own or they're on their own journey it's it's we're we're here together and how I behave and how I talk and how I act most definitely impacts you as an individual and why would I want to bleed out pain and why would I want to cause pain and how would that make me feel better than exactly you? 
so it's not it's it, it what it does is it is it just con- it's it continues that ch- pain chain we'll call it that right and, um, if i had unchecked some of the things that i've done in the past i definitely would have been canceled but it takes a lot to like realize what you're doing is harmful and then change mm-hmm. once and you then, know better do better exactly and then taking accountability for it right and acknowledging it like i just um kind of got in it that retrograde thing where all of your exes come back that's me i just got followed on instagram by an ex and i was like not today i don't feel like posting things and just having you i know you're there watching me you haven't stopped emailing stalker (laughs) i know you're watching me but i just don't want to see you watching me right i want to live my life without that that hovering presence yeah you deserve to not be stalked by an ex if this person is listening we know (laughs) who you are and what you're doing is not good Yes, be married, love your children. (laughs) Before you get canceled. Before you get canceled. But it's, you know, that cancel culture is not cool. I think people definitely have, I mean, like, did I cancel him? I maybe I should unpack that one right here. (laughs) I don't know. I I have to say, you made you put up a boundary. I put up a boundary because um, he wanted to be a lover and he proved himself to be an unworthy, incompatible, not on my level lover. And then a few years went by and he was like, okay, I want to be a friend. And I'm like, I'm good. I, I, I expect a lot of loyalty out of my friends and I expect the truth, no matter how hard the truth is, you know, I'm really understanding there's probably no situation you can go through or no human feeling that you can go through that I wouldn't try to understand because that's who I am first. Like, and that's culture humility. And that's how I've, I've grown over these last 10 years too. Like I, if I, nobody is perfect, right? We are, we're all perfectly imperfect and we have horrible pasts. We have horrible situations in our past where we've just not handled it right, where we popped off at the mouth and has said something too harmful and just never went back around to say, sorry. Like, I'm pretty sure that's everybody, isn't it? <laughs> or yeah. is that just me? <laughs> is that just me? But, um, you know, there's only one, I was thinking about it. I only have six significant relationships in my whole entire 40 years. And there was only one boyfriend where I said something really mean to. And that was Josh. Josh, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, we're not perfect. But, but we can't cancel each other for what we say. And, and I do feel bad about it. Years have gone by and I still feel bad about what I said to him. And I, I did let him know in person, but I still feel bad. You carry these things around with you, right? Yeah. That's my grandpa's words echoing back to me. He said, well, when I was three, I said something to him and I asked him why he had to drink the, the wine and the way I said it or what I said it sobered my grandpa up and he had he was sober mostly from that day forward he kept a he, he did keep a bottle of whiskey because he didn't know anything else for sore throats so like whiskey and honey was was in the cupboard but he wasn't a drinker after that and he taught me a lot about cultural humility because he he was a grown man he was the strongest man I knew and he would sit there and great big crocodile tears would come down when he would rehash the memories of the people he had hurt in his life. And most of those were done under the influence of alcohol. And he would always wrap back around to thanking me for, for sobering him up. And um, I just, I don't know, 
he always wanted me to know I was responsible for that. And I think that might have been dangerous because I've somehow attracted a lot of like alcoholic boyfriends now who want to be sober, um, but are just struggling with it. So it's a it's a tough spirit. But I, you know, even in those cases, my one alcoholic ex, I don't want to cancel him. I do feel like he's an adult responsible for his own words and behaviors and he should take accountability for that and not blame, you know, me or his parents or alcohol or anybody else. But it's like, it's it's a hard life. And I think we're all really struggling to try to cope with how we deal with that. And none of us are equipped. Like that's another thing about cultural humility, right? Is like, holy cow, I don't know if, if I had grown up with people talking around me like this, I would be a completely different person right now because it teaches you how to talk about things and the activities in, in the workshops are practice for talking about those hard things. And so the, uh, you think about it, like there's things you've never, ever talked about or spoken about to people. And when you do, you'll probably have like really painful words come out or really venomous words come out. And you could surprise yourself with how harsh uh, what is coming out of your mouth sounds. And that's culture humility is that sometimes it's the first time saying some of these things for a lot of people and we don't have any practice saying it. So our body kind of like remembers it as if we're in that state of trauma or that moment and it's important to know uh your body and how to breathe through and when to share and we stress that you do please do not register for a culture humility uh session as your your trauma recovery it's not it's not that it's we're not we're not psychologists we're not therapists we're just culture humility trainers and women who have felt the differences internally and within ourselves, I think our working relationship is really amazing because we both embody culture humility. We could have those hard conversations we have. Yeah, it's definitely a flex because it keeps getting stronger and stronger. And in the beginning, I remember how my body felt when I first started to try and open up and really talk about things about myself. I would get all shaky. I would get sweaty in the palms and I would just feel quaky and almost like a lump in my throat sometimes. And I see people in our classes go through that. And I'm like, this is really their first time ever having this type of conversation. And I'm so glad it's like with a small group of people, we're not going to like share this story. We're not going to, you know, we're going to, we're all there to support and stay quiet and just listen and help everybody get through it because that is literally what it takes is the mm -hmm. dialogue to talk about the hard things that we never do that just perpetuates this cycle of toxicity almost in every facet of society. Right. And that's how we want to cancel Bob at work for like the things that he says that, oh, Bob means well. And that's how we always shut down our feelings at work. Right. Oh, he doesn't mean any harm. And then you right. go back to work like for three months and he's doing it every other day. Does Bob really not mean any harm if you've told him, ouch, dude, <laughs> that hurts. Right. Um, or is Bob like, no, the way I think is the way I think. Deal with it. Do you want a team of those people? I don't know. But the culture humility really helps open up dialogue channels at, at your workplace, which is important because people can have these festering issues and people quit because of festering issues. And so if there's an easy, if, if you have an air 
to the environment in your workplace where communication and dialogue is open and free and meant uh, kind of frameworked with these principles of cultural humility. I think you do have more instances where Bob will say something like, uh, oh, nice hair, Brittany, can I touch your hair? And, and Brittany has either like these beautiful native braids in or her, her um, black fro. She's rocking a fro that day. And Bob is just constantly making comments and wanting to touch and, you know, like, you know, back off, Bob. <laughs> back off. Right. We have a Bob in my work and I've had to like really control myself. I'm like, do I jump in and say something? Because the woman who's being you know targeted doesn't know how you can tell that she doesn't know how to vocalize that because she's a young woman and I remember witnessing something of a hair touching and I thought okay cultural humility here I'm witnessing something that's not good this poor Mm -hmm. woman's having her hair touched by the bob at the work I'm like do I jump in and say something do I make it a joke or do I like I really had to sit there and contemplate and at the end I didn't really do anything I just went up to the woman and I was like I totally saw that he touched your hair and she was like yeah he's such a jerk and that was it oh yeah see the your intuition was spot on and and she was feeling like he was a jerk like you don't touch anybody yeah She was a she was a beautiful black young lady who had her hair in this particular style and, and it looked amazing, but he just felt the need to like run his hands along it. And I just thought, and I saw it from across the room and I was like, did I just see Bob do that? And I thought, okay, Melissa, what are you going to do about it? Because here we have this opportunity now to have a moment of dialogue or I could totally set him off because he's a Bob, yeah. right? So I went up yeah. to her instead and like, I played it safe for the sake of the environment and keeping the peace. But I did go to her and I said, I saw that and it's not cool. Just so you know, I was a witness to that. Yeah. And you're, I think you're sensitive to that too, because you don't like anyone touching your hair. I don't know if we've ever talked about that, but I like, I just feel it off you, right? (laughs) Your hair is big hair. Your your hair is your crown. Yeah, exactly. And anybody touching it, anybody touching you anywhere is not, cool especially if they're not someone that you're a friend with or someone close even co-workers like you really shouldn't be brushing up against each other or I don't know yeah playing with people's hair especially but it was an instance where I had to like Mm. check myself because my reaction was automatically let's go call out Bob and cancel him I was like wait a second Melissa wait a second yeah, I know. I think if I was, it depends on my relationship with Bob, but I think I would crack the joke of like, careful, careful, Bob, like that pet is usually followed by a quick right hook or something like that, you know, right? Like, don't pet the girls if they're not asking you to. <laughs> it's also known as missing stare syndrome, the Bobs in our world. So think about really? like a family member, someone that you constantly have to go around because they're set in their quote-unquote ways or it is what it is for them there's that person who is just like a not great person that you're kind of stuck with dealing with and it's like the missing stare you got to do this extra effort to keep going up the stairs and they're they're not there Mm -hmm. socially socially aware of what they're doing and contributing and I just learned that it's called the missing stare effect for people like that it could be anybody in your family in your workplace but that missing I, stare really affects everybody who's using the stairs, right? 
I'm, I'm the missing stare in terms of like, I, my non-use of alcohol and drugs really disrupts a lot of the relationships with my close family who are still on that pathway. I'm the missing stare, but that also is like the chain breaker. That's the, great. You're like the elevator yeah. that they're like <laughs> bypassing. <laughs> yeah. The black sheep. It um, is hard when you don't drink. Like I, 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 yeah, I can't relate to my, my cousins who are partiers anymore, but a lot of them have people, slowed down, but still, I mean, yeah. I live in Las Vegas. This is booze culture here. Like I do not fit in anymore. Like I would be right in there like a, what do you, what's it saying? A dirty rag, a dirty <laughs> t-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> but like now, like it's just, this whole city is just catered to alcohol, right? Like it's just all kinds of drinks flowing everywhere and I'm just immune to it. And people are just like, giving me double looks you know I'll go up to a bar and I'm like can I just have pineapple juice with a lot of ice and they're like about to roll their eyes but I still tip you know like I'm still part of that culture of tipping and obviously being grateful for your service but like I'm not going to sit here and do a bunch of shots like I used to and I'm just a different part of society now I could never I was never a shots 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 suta (laughs) Oh, I was crazy. I drank beer and tequila. That was my combo. And as soon as I came to America, people were like, wow, you drink like a Mexican person. And I was like, really? This is just how I drink. Like there was this whole dimension of like even the way I drank and the style. Like there's just so much to and that's being an alcoholic. in Canada. That's exp- yeah. Tequila is not $25, $35 a bottle in Canada. It's like 60 Right. Because you have to it has to be like the trade and I just found the beer in America to be a little weak. So I needed an accelerator and that's just how I (laughs) used to roll. Gosh, Yeah. My poor liver rest in peace. And uh, we're doing, we're doing really good these days. Me and my liver, I I send love to my liver all the time, especially when I went through that alcohol awareness course for my job, because I needed to know how much my liver went through those years. I had like, I was like shuddering. I was like, Oh my God, how am I still here? So you can change and turn it around even in your late 30s. I'm just saying. It's so inspiring. It's so inspiring uh, being the the family member who is like waiting for the day where I have those family and friends like take back their power and become healthy and get their glow back and not have anything sapping their energy out. Because that's what they mostly say. They When they get sober, they're like, I've heard it two times from different people on opposite sides of the world is is when they quit drinking it's like almost like a fog was lifted and they saw clearer and I'm like wow I've never had that experience I'd never I've mentioned this and I think a previous alcohol episode where we talked about sobriety but yeah I feel like my whole 20s are a blur suit a complete blur I've even rewatched movies where I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm watching this for the first time, even though I have seen it before in that (laughs) alcohol fog lifestyle. So it really is a clarity thing and it's addicting because now I can't, I can't imagine going back. I just, I just can't. So interesting. The, the perception. Well, the perception. Yeah. I have a lot of uh, trouble with the perception is, is because as the sober person, like the, the sober person, my whole, I had to almost. I think I've been canceled many times because I've said the wrong thing, but like (laughs) the filter that alcohol gives you makes you really sensitive and makes you feel like you're a target of people's 
language and talk, even if you're not. And so you feel really uh, attacked and victimized, I think. And so it's really hard to to talk with those people and not get canceled. And so I've almost kind of like, maybe my trauma response was just to cancel myself and be like, I'm just the black sheep hermit. <laughs> I've totally canceled myself. That's so dramatic. <laughs> I know. I'm just going to cancel myself. Nobody can see me holding my forehead. But I'm imagining myself like with the wind blowing against me. But no, the canceling, I think there's always ways to come back into the community into the family but it takes accountability and it takes responsibility like you can't be canceled or accused of something and be like well if it wasn't for them or if it wasn't for this then it wouldn't have happened like that's just an ugly energy to try to heal with that's like shaming and blaming it's shaming and blaming and that's one of the culture humility things the principles that we do not allow and so yeah I've there's every single blame that I've I've tried to do takes it right back to myself and I allowed that I made the decision that set up those circumstances I like it's not it's no ex's fault it's no parent's fault it's no you know long distance uncle uncle's fault like it's nobody's fault unless you were a child right and you you needed you know you were supposed to be watched over and cared for but then you became an adult and you gotta still carry those with you and not let them affect you and bleed out into other people where you're bob exactly (laughs) don't be a bob please don't be the missing stare the missing stare i don't know what do you i do you think lizzo should be canceled I don't know. I'm, I've been really, you know, I have a, I'd like to say I have a really good intuition. And for some reason, my intuition is saying, I don't think she should be canceled. I think the world has been jolted by a woman like her doing her thing so unapologetically. And whether or not there was a, a real sexual harassment, I think it had to do with the dancer's touching a naked dancer or something like that I wasn't there but this is just what I'm reading on the internet and I'm mm-hmm. just I don't know I, I genuinely don't know interesting normally I... I'd be like yes they're they, they they I believe they did that or no 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 no. I don't think they did that but with Lizzo I really can't tell but by the by the looks of it I'm getting just disgruntled energy from these dancers and I don't know maybe they're just I don't know. I don't know. There's I a want... lot of people trying who want to catch a quick moment of fame exactly. or, you know, notoriety or make their mark in the world by screaming something. And whether Even how... if it's not true. Right. If people don't really like Lizzo, that is fine. But if they, if they were somehow removed from her team and this is their way of getting her back for taking her off the team or whatever, I don't. uh... But how do you expect to get a new job? Like you can't, like I would not hire somebody who constantly bad mouths and victimize. It's like finding a boyfriend, right? Like uh, in those beginning talks, like how does he talk about his ex? How how does he talk about his his children's mother? Um, Is he like, oh, she's crazy. She's a she's a bee and she's this and oh they're crazy they're this like that's that's 
like when I have my culture humility ears on, I'm like, well, what was Mm -hmm. your part in it? Like, you're not like, there's two sides to this. And I'm sure they were acting under a framework where they thought completely justified. And then these, these things clashed and there was no dialogue or there was only short dialogue or there was pettiness or vindictiveness involved. Right. People do, people do crazy things when they're in They pain. really do. When people are wounded, it's a poison and they don't even realize it because they're just so consumed by it. And I've been in some pretty painful situations where I may have lashed out to some people again. Don't want to blame the drugs and the alcohol, but I was in like a deep state of pain and just like, it's like barfing all over the place and not trying to cover your mouth when you know you probably should cover your mouth. Mm -hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. But I got better and I'm just going to um, just watch this whole Lizzo situation and see how it unfolds. But there are some people out there who are pretty vindictive and I've witnessed firsthand people cry wolf. Yeah. You know, and ruin people's lives legitimately. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not cool. Like that's, that's where culture humility does give you the compassion to take rejection. I've worked through that a lot (laughs) because I, I, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a helper. My ego is based in helping and feeling uh, my value is based in, in my help being received almost. And so when that's rejected, I feel really worthless. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's framing. You have right. to sit back and think about why am I feeling like that? And where did I get that feeling from? And is it really what I'm feeling? Or am I just going through the motions of what I was right. taught to feel? You're not going to sue everybody yeah. that rejects you. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so yeah, I, I've, cultural humility has helped me a lot with that, that um, when my help is not wanted or not needed, or um, maybe when it's like perceived a different way, like fake, it gets called fake a lot. Like, and then I feel bad for those people because they, did they, they never experience a friend or a lover who, who generally wanted to just cater their action or their word around them, like, so that here I come and and me and my my authentic loving self does something and I'm like fake and then I'm and but then still that steers me towards the other people. It's a hard world world out there to navigate and and getting canceled and getting taken in and being part of the community is is a huge thing for all of us. And like, uh, is it Tonya or Tanaya? Tanaya J Hall. Right. Yes. The beating situation. She's anti Beatrice. Yeah. yeah. This is another one that I struggled with because I, I didn't really realize the situation because I, I paid attention to the, the acting situation she was in in Edmonton or the, the community in Northern Alberta, where she felt sexually harassed by a pr- producer. And that I believed, right? Like I thought, Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Nobody should have to go through that. And I commend her for speaking out on it because I'm sure there's a lot of actresses out there who have experienced that and never said anything, mm-hmm. right? Especially in our communities. And as, as our communities grow and become more mainstream in, in that kind of medium, it needs to be called out so that everybody's working in a safe space, right? And then this other situation happens where she's, I guess, being called out and canceled for underpaying or quote unquote bullying a beater. 
right? Like, I don't know much about beating life. I'm sure that you have a bit more expertise on that, but I know it's a serious thing. And right there, I was like, whoa, this is, this seems like a legit reason to kind of maybe have that dialogue between those two, those two people. Like, this is something that's pretty serious. And now the repercussions of the internets are probably weighing pretty heavy on her now. And I can't imagine what it must take to bounce back and all of the, all the cultural humility to kind of pull yourself out of a canceled state after maybe yes. learning some a harsh lesson, right? Like a, a hard lesson. It is a hard lesson. I don't know if her Gucci was real though. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think of my access to Gucci as a native girl from the res, even living in Missoula and then traveling to Phoenix often. Like I, yeah, there's that mall down there by Fort McDowell that has the Gucci and coach and all those stores, but it is, it is a little um, awful to be and I could see that how that would be really insulting to wear a Gucci purse and having flexed some, some, you know, $5,000 beadwork made by a, a non-native Russian guy. And then complain that, that you were paying, I, I don't know what I saw 700 and then 1500, but either way, both of those prices for the set she got was way less than, mm. than the time that the beater put in. And I always, I always say, don't, don't complain about, complain about the price of beadwork if you can't bead, period. And then I don't buy beadwork from people because I can bead. And I I know how much time it takes and I know, you know how much the supplies cost and I know it's valuable, but I don't buy other people's beadwork. And I most certainly wouldn't complain about the prices. Right. Um, I know that, you know, yeah. those, just those circular necklaces, I can't remember what they're called, but those go medallions a lot a medallion is a lot I know that can mm -hmm. I can't imagine a set a set mm -hmm. and this had moccasins uh braid ties earrings I think cuffs and there were some other things in there but moccasins alone like for my fully beaded moccasins I've been offered 1500 to 5000 dollars for one set of fully beaded beautiful gorgeous moccasins and and it wasn't a fair price because I um, would have had to separate them from the set that I beaded for myself. Right. And that set I'm wearing is, is well over $10,000 that I'm, I'm wearing. I could not ask anybody to bead what I'm wearing for me because, um, yeah, the moccasins alone are 1500, uh, with the leggings. And then I have my hat and my cape and my belt and my earrings and my braid ties and my barrettes and, um, there's just so much matching knife cases. If you're, if you're buying beadwork, please expect to pay for it. But that situation is not enough to hold resentment for or to ruin her career for. And, and I don't think it's, I think it's really awful the way people are um, taking a moment to be like, oh, I never liked her jokes anyway. Like, dude, just move on. We don't have to add this stuff into the world. I'm sure Auntie Beatrice will, you know, is she and that's the whole character like she kind of embodies like all the anti-isms of the roughest auntie you have on the res but that was not supposed to fall into her personal character and I think um you know I think people should keep those things separate right and and not you know she's got children she's got a life and and it's really hard for any native you see doing well 
has most 100% come from poverty. The natives that I see doing well from birth were usually adopted by really nice white rich couples, <laughs> but then they struggle with identity and, and, and reabsorbing themselves back into the community and the practices without pan Indianizing, you know, generalizing and romanticizing everything. And so they have the compromises, those identity issues. And I've had, you know, two very wealthy native friends raised by white couples drink themselves to death because they can't handle you know, that situation. It's a hard life. It's a hard life. And I don't, I don't think she should be canceled. I think, um, you know, we, we all learned a lesson about what it takes to make beadwork and how much it costs and how unfair it is to think that it's okay to have a non-native person from a different country, uh, bead you something and, and pay triple the price of what you paid a native girl who has children and has a business and is trying to get those going. So we here at Indigenous Vision, like our our team of contractors and our team of people, I try really hard to make, you know, it's not all work, right? We're also people. And, and so it's important to factor in like those, those things that we're going through in our home life when you're doing work life stuff. But it's culture humility. It's a, it's a long episode if we get into it. So I kind of want to wrap it up there. It is. And if you want to learn more about cultural humility, we do have a training. It's open to everybody. You don't have to be part of some big organization, but it would help if you did, because you could spread that within your organization. But we start off on the, it's October 17th. 17th. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday until the 25th. And right. you will learn to dialogue and it will get, my maybe a little itchy and uncomfortable, but you will learn to dialogue and process stuff like being canceled. Maybe. Yes. The slightly uncomfortable feeling is growth. Mm-hmm. That's growth. That's where the beauty happens. And so, yeah. And don't complain about our prices either. We're actually giving you a very good deal. A thousand dollars a seat seems expensive, but it's actually $200 less than the in-person price. And you are investing in yourself and your skills and your knowledge and your abilities. This is a certificate you carry with you and add to your portfolio and your CV as something you are able to roll out as an individual or within a company. Uh, We give you a slide deck, a facilitator's guide, essentially a lifelong learning community of people who are in the same journey. And so I've regularly invested in myself. I think my bartending certificate was $250. Um, I have a backcountry recovery uh, certificate that costs $800. I have a first aid and CPR backcountry combo. Those usually cost anywhere between $1,200 and $1,500. This is... um, better than cultural competency. <laughs> those are way better. Words. I, I know those are fighting words out there. This is the most um, awesome thing you can do for your DEI work, because if people can't talk about uh, the things that are bothering them or the things that they are loving and wanting, then you essentially kind of lose a little bit of organizational mojo and, and, energy where your team could be communicating better, could be more efficient and could be working those projects a little bit more um, 
unhinged, I suppose. And so less hiccups in all of the communication and all the flow of the work. And so, yes, invest in yourself. You're worth it. Your company is worth it. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like, it's kind of like chiropractic and massage. You can't go to the chiropractor and get popped and expect your muscles to form to that new bone structure, your muscle memory will pull your bones right back to where you were before. And if you don't like do ongoing stretching and keep your muscles in and your bones in that posture. So similarly with your organization and your own growth and individual self-development, you can't do one thing and expect it to hang on forever. It needs to be an ongoing practice and something that you do day in and day out as one of your, that it becomes a mindless activity. And so now yeah, instead of getting offended in the the grocery store, I'm thinking about the journey that that person must have been on and how how exposed like their exposures in their life. And uh, yes, in most cases, I am the only brown person that some people are talking to here in Montana because it's not that diverse here. So, yeah, if you want to level up your intellectual and emotional maturity, I highly recommend cultural humility. Thanks for checking out the Indigenous Vision podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. We are an educational nonprofit based out of Arizona and Montana, and this is our official podcast. This is just one of the projects that we do have going on. If you would like to explore more of what we do, visit our website, indigenousvision.org. You can also sign up for our cultural humility training that's coming up this October 17th. All are welcome to attend. Again, thank you for listening to the IV podcast. <laughs>